Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hello, I'm Sam Loy and welcome to another episode of Human Ordinary, true stories of the extraordinary in everyday life. Apologies for the brief pause in transmission. We decided to take a little mid-season break to retool, which is why there was no release last fortnight. Although subscribers to the show did get to hear some bonus content, which was a previously unreleased story that I did a couple of years ago. Lucky subscribers. And the latest member of the Human Ordinary subscriber gang is Rosie Joyce from Melbourne, Australia. Rosie gets her name on the website, as well as access to ad-free episodes, bonus content, and other awesome rewards. All for the low, low monthly cost of a six-pack of delicious jam donuts from the Preston Market. That's cheap and much better for your cholesterol. So, this one time I was on a teenage TV game show called Vidiot. It was all music and movie questions, perfect for an underachieving school student like me. And I did pretty well on it. The first time I was on, I won a Game Gear, which was kind of like a Game Boy, but in colour. I wasn't really keen on it, so my mother, who has always been pretty good at this kind of thing, took it into a department store and said it was an unwanted gift. Her little ruse worked, and I got the cash for it, which I used to buy my very first bass guitar. I think like many wannabe teenage rock stars, I was more interested in the glamour and lifestyle of a musician than actually playing music. After all, trashing hotel rooms and getting whatever you wanted was much easier than writing hits and practicing scales. One time, I played a Metallica bass solo at a school assembly and then followed that up with my band's rendition of Smells Like Teen Spirit with me on vocals. It was so awful that no one would make eye contact with me afterwards. Needless to say, I was attracting no fans. We moved a short time later, and besides a few attempts to resurrect my rock stardom, including a parody thrash metal band called the Ministers of the Apocalypse, the bass was pretty much put out to pasture. Then, as I was approaching 30, a friend asked me to join their prog rock band. They were all much better musicians than I was, and I struggled to keep up. But I persevered, assuming that with a bit of practice, I could be as good as them, and maybe, just maybe... Thousands of screaming fans awaited in the future. But I didn't get better. Try as I did, I couldn't remember scales or understand what it meant when a song was in a particular key. I couldn't hear when a note was a little flat or sharp, and every bum note I played seemed as if Apollo himself was working through my strings, saying, Give up, Sam, you suck. What's more, and probably most pertinently, I didn't have the desire to practice more. I just didn't really care. After quite a few years of this, a slow creeping realisation washed over me. I'm no good at music. It's perfectly fine for me to say that. It's not a source of ongoing disappointment or anything, because there's plenty of things that all of us are no good at, and plenty of things we are. 
Some things we can work at every day and hardly see any improvement, while others we can pick up once and instantly be amazing at. I think it's all indicative of an innate aptitude, or lack thereof, as the case may be. I think my nuffiness as a musician is something that's in my DNA, perhaps inherited from my parents, who I'm pretty sure have owned more cars over their lifetime than albums. At any rate, this time on Human Ordinary, producer Cinnamon Nippard brings a story about two people who were born with music humming through their veins. Some kids are brought up on football and Fruit Loops, but Romy Lee Humple and his sister, Savannah Hazelton, were immersed in jazz from the day they were born. But their dad's introduction to jazz was quite different. It was a bit of a butterfly wing moment, featuring a little white German kid as the Second World War was ending. So, it's 1942, or four, somewhere in there. And it's like towards the end of the war, And my dad's town is now about to be, like, liberated by the Americans. He was born in 1937, so he's about five years old, six years old. Yeah, six. Or or seven when the war is over. Yeah. And Poor child. Then they send in the, like, African-Americans, and they're trying to bribe my dad and other little kids. Hey, does anyone here have a gun? Is anyone going to, like, shoot at us? And they give him chewing gum, banana, and chocolate as a method of bribing them to, you know, spill... Give you information. Yeah, Yeah. right. But part of the difficulty in communicating with the black GIs for a few days was that, you know, my dad didn't speak English then, and they didn't speak German. But what would happen is my dad had this accordion, and they had a guitar, and they would jam. They would like almost just start to communicate and get more friendly and start to feel more comfortable around each other. Kind of almost through this jazz jam session. And in the background, the these GIs brought, you know, their radios. And this was Louis Armstrong and, and big bands all on the radio. So like the first sounds of freedom for my dad, like very actively was jazz. Up until that point, he thought the whole planet consisted of war. So yeah. for, for the bombs to stop dropping and hearing Louis Armstrong, he was like, wait, I can have that? That's the sounds of freedom. Gunther Hampel became a multi-instrumentalist and one of Germany's most influential free jazz musicians. And his passion for music led him to another butterfly wing moment. It brought him to Jean Lee, a mesmerizing jazz singer and poet from the Bronx. The story goes that my dad was watching French television and he saw this interesting woman sitting on a stool singing these standards in a new way, in kind of a captivating way. And he was like, I like her. I'd like to meet her. Et voici maintenant ces deux artistes Nouvellement venu en Europe, Jan Lee, Ran Black. And then a few, I think months later, he invited her to a recording that he was doing in Antwerp. And a few years later, I was born. So he, he first saw her basically on TV. Somebody put this clip on YouTube so Savannah, I, anyone can see the exact moment that our father saw our mother. Kind of like time travel, really. Yeah, funny seeing your mom younger than you are now that that's a mind warp that's like you feel dimensions bend all of 
pretty amazing story it sounds a bit like love at first sight as well like in the old school sense yeah our mom was a powerful lady um i think until this day she's probably the most empathetic person i've ever met so i'm not surprised that that came through even on tv and so then when they met like do you did they tell you any stories of how well, you know, my dad's a, a composer, multi-instrumentalist, and, you know, has a the matching ego that goes with that job. And uh, I think when my mom, or at least as I know it, my mom walked into the studio and saw somebody bossing everybody around, telling them what to do, and she was like, who's this guy? Why is he so bossy? And, uh, yeah, as far as I understand, that was her first impression of my dad. <laughs> He's my... We'll drink from dry glasses There's no need for wine So you've got these two very um, passionate artists um, carving their own niche, making jazz something that it wasn't before, um, improvised, they became improvised masters of their own right, and that's kind of the setting in which we were born. My whole childhood is his album, Jubilation. Um, going on, I grew up on, on tour there, so the first four years of my life, I was born in Göttingen, but was basically in the back of his Citroën, and touring with my brother, and my brother was my best friend, and we were traveling all around. He was one of the consistent people in in my life, and uh, we learned how to be fun, and uh, it was great touring with adults who knew how to have fun. I remember Perry Robinson, he taught me that adults could still be silly, um, so that's something I really cherished. Yeah, it was its own microcosm. I think having a mom who is a jazz vocalist um, sort of just exploded any parameters of what sound should be, <laughs> you know. So I, I definitely, I'll argue with anybody who wants to, I had the best lullabies <laughs> growing up and sound affects me in ways that I notice not everybody's affected that way. Um, there was a lot of jazz, a lot of free jazz. When I was a kid, I remember it making me really aggressive sometimes. <laughs> um, but I also love that our mom especially was very flexible. We'd, we'd listen to Whitney Houston and, and Michael Jackson. We had those records and we'd just dance in the living room. And we had a lot of access to American radio. We did that whole thing where we taped things on the cassette. So I think Bon Jovi taught me how to harmonize because it was so clear <laughs> as opposed to this uh, whirlwind and of free expression that I was used to. So music connected. Music connected us. Yeah. It was really a unique upbringing. Like a lot of my friends now marvel at how we came up because we really did only have each other. Mm -hmm. There were no other consistent children around because it was just a bunch of jazz musicians traveling in one car to 
two weeks in France, a week in Italy, rush back to Germany for that gig, go to East Germany, West Germany, and just living with the band and having a new adventurous place to explore each and every weekend or a new festival. And there were no rules. There were no bedtimes. (laughs) There were no like schools to have to be in or attend. It really was a free for all. I mean, much like the music. I don't know if it was necessarily government officials, but people started to suggest perhaps these kids should be in school and not just uh, gallivanting around Europe. Kind of a rude awakening to have to live by the rules after being so lawless for so long. When we finally did move to the States, I remember being about four, you were about six. Is that right? I thought it was a little later. A little later, seven and five, something like that. Nowadays, you don't have nearly as many taboos and stuff like that. But that back then, you know, our mom was a widow, so she didn't want to get married. I I definitely remember the weight of being a bastard child. And um, those were the times before the EU borders were down. So traveling to France meant waiting three hours at the border in addition to the regular travel time. So life just had a different tempo, different space. The rules were very present and prominent. And The work was always in Europe for our parents. I mean, that was a struggle that was a theme in our mother's life, especially her entire life. Like, Yeah, it's a different set of values. It was a microcosm. And uh, moving to the States or trying to integrate into Göttingen or, uh, you know, those were our main cities back then. It was just, I think those were the first cultural clashes. Well, Göttingen was, a, I mean, it's still a small town, especially compared to Berlin and New York. But it was very different when we were growing up. Like, people would literally stop like whatever they were doing and just watch the two little brown kids like walk through their town. Yeah. That was the 70s in Göttingen. There weren't many of us. Mischlingskinder. In the 80s. And wasn't a nice term. Mischling is really like mixed, but it's sort of a term that you would use when you're breeding dogs kind of a thing. So it's definitely not a complimentary phrase. Um, Translating it, it's mixed children, which just doesn't have the same impact, the same bark at it. So this was also a common theme about our identity. We were visibly breaking the rules. And um, I think that's also really interesting how we experience that even from a gendered perspective. I think even that made subtle differences. And yeah, it was it was a struggle to belong outside of that microcosm. You mean outside of the jazz? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's not a coincidence that in our adult lives, we both work in intercultural negotiations and and help people bridge um, in certain ways, because we had a lot of experiences back then. I remember my very first one. Um, Our dad was also macrobiotic, so there was a limited amount of restaurants, but New York had restaurants, macrobiotic restaurants, and there was a bakery next door. And we were just coming from Germany, so I probably said, hey, guck mal, Fati, look, Dad. But I said it in German, and it was an old Jewish baker, and I triggered something in him. And he turned around, and he's like, you guys are Nazis. I wouldn't serve Nazis in my bakery. So me, I was four years old, as a brown kid, being kicked out of a Jewish bakery for being a Nazi. And (laughs) that's when I started being like, wait, what just happened? I just wanted cake, you know? So there was like, that's one of many, 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 many examples of, of 
intercultural misunderstandings. And uh, as soon as I was in a surrounding um, to start studying how to navigate through this, that's that's when I was really happy to do that. It's often so difficult for, it feels like, for other people to not be able to, like, properly assign us to a specific mm. category. Mm. And that, like, is... Wherever we go, if we're in America, it's like, oh, you're so European. And then you come over here to Germany, like, oh, you American. <laughs> and you're never, and then it's, and it echoes itself, like culturally, like what your passport says, but, oh, yeah. but also, like, you know, are you African American? Are you white? And like, what does that mean? And where's the divide? And yeah. like, people really want you to choose. Yeah if only to make it easier for themselves. Yeah. I mean, and then it's so, it's so like people just putting these ideas on you. I mean, and they have no clue like what's going on for them, but just experiencing the, I mean, it's not always hate. It's not even always aggression. It's just like, you know, just so difficult for them to understand what's outside the box. In Germany, we're Michelin, we don't belong, but in America, we're too German, doesn't matter what our skin color is. I have another really good one that is an adult, which is a wonderful example of these projections. Um, there's a tennis club up on Columbia Dam. It's been around since before Germany existed, 1872. Um, and I, I think it was shortly after the VM, after the World's Championships, the soccer championships, and I had one of those towels that you can buy really cheaply, really big with the country's flag. So I had a German flag wrapped around me in the, in the towel after a game in the shower, and this older woman, she turns to me, and I guess being in a bathroom with, with tiles and having the German flag wrapped around a brown-skinned person, I don't know what was triggered in her, but she starts crying in the shower, and it was like, Oh, my kind, I had never thought that I would so mitbekomme. Like, my child, I never thought we would have one of you as ours. And she just is like totally romanticizing my shower. <laughs> and yeah, it was awkward, like hugging this completely strange lady while you're buck naked in a shower. <laughs> because some story is going on in her mind and you're like... They're there. <laughs> I can relate to that. Not the part about being hugged by a naked woman in the shower, <laughs> but just the part. Just the part as far as like being like romanticized and exoticized. Mm. You know about like who we are in comparison to what is the norm like here in Germany. That's that seems to also be another theme that comes up. Everything is kind of a game, is how I look at it. Like this whole, like, this race thing. Let's play it like this. Even even to a large extent, like, not being around other boys growing up, um, then coming into it at, like, eight or nine, it was like having to learn a language of, like, how do boys talk to each other? It's very different from how the musician and me being around my sisters and my mother, like, this is another language that I'm going to have to... We're like code switching. Yeah. You once referred to that as as man points. Like 
in terms of like the spirit of having this as a game, like, yeah, we earned some man points. And this is since you mentioned that, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what they're doing. It's so <laughs> silly, but it's the language that people speak. And I have some friends, even in New York, were like, when, when this comes up, when you're supposed to, you know, play this game and you don't, then you lose because you didn't even know about the game that you weren't playing. And it can feel terrible. It can feel like, um, you know, you feel less than, but it's just so silly and temporary. But but coming from a place of like having no rules and then gauging, it almost feels like it's a good vantage point to see like how manufactured the rules are. And as long as you like, you know, know that you'll temporarily adhere to a certain cultured standard, like even coming to Germany, like in New York, I'm really concerned about <laughs> not being on the police's radar. It's for just as far as like when you ride your bike, walk the street, just innocent stuff. And then, and then how you have to behave in New York versus how you have to behave in Berlin is different so that you can just have a peaceful day. But it is a matter of like, okay, what are the rules for this environment? Whether it's, you know, about, males pushing back or their perception of my brownness or cultural and then okay let me adhere to the rules of this moment and temporarily just to get through it we'll be back after this short break Human Ordinary listeners get to try ShipStation for free for 60 days when you use the promo code HUMAN. You can start your free trial without even entering a credit card number. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the little microphone at the top, and type in HUMAN. That's ShipStation.com and promo code HUMAN. ShipStation. Make ship happen. They both went to school in New York, and then Savannah chose to go back to Germany for university. 
Romy went to the fame school and then studied acting and filmmaking. These days, Romy goes to visit his sister more than she makes it to the US. He reminds me of how much time I've been away from the States. Um, my accent changes quite a bit. Um, if Sometimes I'm, it sounds British. Right. If I'm speaking a lot of German, then all of my muscles get really tighter. And then I try to speak English. And then sometimes it just sounds like I'm speaking British all of the sudden, you know. So there's all kinds of, um, yeah, Romy notices. <laughs> oh, Doesn't sound like the Lower East Side so much anymore. No, no, no. It's yeah. been a while. <laughs> I visit pretty regularly. Like, I'm here every winter and... Every summer, like, really for decades. So for me, I mean, sometimes Berlin feels more like home than mm. New York because New York is like where I got to work, where I got to stress. But Berlin is like where family is. It's where we get to perform and have gigs. And, like, there's time here. There isn't mm. as much, like, stress and doesn't feel like there's as much consequences for in life um so i don't know berlin i know i've spent more months in new york but berlin feels like home the one thing that really gets my goat is that we have different nationalities so this might be a reason it definitely affects how we move on this planet we have the exact same heritage exact same mother and father but different passports i uh, saw so our parents were never married and so when i was born that year, mm. as long as my father was German, which he is, then I couldn't be German. If my mother was German and they were unmarried parents, then I would be German. Three months later, they changed the law. Mm -hmm. So it didn't matter which parent was unmarried. I, either way, I would have been German. We often tell that tale with a little bit of glibness, but right now, like, you know, my dad's getting older. He's had a couple surgeries. It'd be good if I could be here and could work here without any hindrances. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I can hop on a plane and, and come here and stay here and afford to be here for, you know, days and weeks at a time. Um, I, you know, it's, it's hard, it's difficult to plan when I'm not allowed to be around my father for as long as I may need to be. It's frustrating. Yeah, it's frustrating. Savannah is now a wonderful vocalist in her own right and often performs with her dad, who's still touring after all these years. She's also able to bridge different musical styles, from jazz standards to the experimental or avant-garde, just like her mother, Jean Lee. Jean was a prolific performer, composer and recording artist right up until her death from cancer in the year 2000. She set the precedence for empathy in my life. Um, she set the bar really high. And in my how many, how many years on this planet, I have never met anybody who listens as deeply, as considerately, as compassionately as she does. And 
knowing her as a mom gave me a, a, a leg up in a lot of situations. She had a lot of like quiet power. You know, she never was like into bothering someone else's space or not. I mean, okay, I got a story one time, like, you know, I learn in Manhattan, there's a lot of homeless people and for whatever defense or not to feel as much as one might feel, you project. So this guy, I remember being a kid and this guy was clearly drunk, could mumble out the words of like, could I give me some money for some change? Like, let me have some. And I was, you know, feeling in that moment, maybe I was very much a Manhattan kid, but I was like, oh, I shouldn't give him any money, right, mom? He's just going to use it to drink more. And my mom in this moment was like, you know, she took a second to clarify. She was like, people go through challenges. People go through difficult times. And sometimes they try to get what they need to what they think they need to help them through this time it isn't our place to judge of where they are or what they think they need to help get them through a phase however long that phase may last um you know we really were raised by a single mom and our grandmother madeline lee and our older sister naima hazelton like that really formed our our childhood um but she had a lot of sacrifices to try and and do this art thing and still provide for her children. And it was so great that on top of that, she's also really an inspiration for so many. I mean, people are still like every feels like every month there's a new like grad student who wants to interview us about our mother's contribution because of what she's done, not only through her music, but culturally what she stood for, where especially at this time in the 70s and even early 80s, it was like, yeah, in different parts of the world, can a woman have a career full-fledged and raise her children? Like, it still was a time, and people are probably still asking this question, like, you know, which way, which one do I have to choose? I have to choose, right? And there would be our mother on stage sometimes like breastfeeding one of us and holding the microphone and singing at the same time. It was such a clear image of like, do both. You know, you can, or here's an option, here's an example for you that you don't have to be limited. And pe- people are still thankful for for that contribution. It's nice to still receive that thanks from people, even though it was our mother's actions. I, I definitely wasn't uh, confronted with any of the things Romy just said until my mom's funeral. I didn't realize what an icon she was for so many people. That was just my mom up until then. Yeah, Abby Lincoln was... She sang at my mom's funeral. Yeah. She sang at our mother's funeral, and it was really complimentary and such a good friend to our mother, such a good, like, guiding, like, sister to her. It was really sweet well, they, they'd known each other all the way back and you know they were two new york fierce new yorker women setting the tone in vocal arts so it was nice there's this idea of like sharing your parents as like a public figure and having strangers come up to you and tell you these this intimate connection that they share with your mother mm. 
especially at a young age, which can be disorienting. Even now, if someone says, I used to change your diapers. You, There was a festival in Leipzig and you slept in on the floor in a sleeping bag. And, and you know, or, or the other ones are when somebody comes up and says like, oh, I had a, uh, I, I edited a film in film class once and I used my mother's music as part of the soundtrack. And the film... A teacher turned around after I showed my six-minute piece. He says, "Your mother is is Jean Lee. Your that's the reason I moved to New York. That's the reason that that I'm with my wife now. Her rendition of Lara brought us together, and this changed the and is constantly like peppered throughout our lives. This story of people being so connected to our parents' exploration and." and just vulnerability and empathy and exploring. In 2009, the German government recognized Gunter Hampel with the Bundesverdienstkreuz, which is a federal order or cross of merit. He was recognized not just for his musical achievements, but also for being a cultural ambassador of jazz and for bringing it to generations of young people. I love that little bookend of like him becoming the thing that was his liberator, and then he dedicates his life to do that, hopefully for others as well. Even though Gunther is now in his 80s and has slowed down a bit, a Gunther Hampel show is a vibrant mix of improvised jazz with vocals and dance. The band consists of drums and bass saxophone, with Gunther on the vibraphone, flute and bass clarinet. Savannah's on the mic, and Romy, plus up to seven dancers from different cultural and artistic backgrounds, leap and twist over the stage with a combination of breakdance, ballet and quirky contemporary movements. Romy describes it as a kind of playful trapeze act, and the freedom of improv performance is something that inspires their everyday lives. You get something that you don't get anywhere else, the freedom to just play. You know, they talk about playing in a theatre or playing music, <clears throat> but a lot of us forget the playfulness. We're, we use it as a tool to be to one-up each other or to show status or something, but my favourite is really just playing. We, when you're are good at your craft, you can play and you can improvise. And that has influenced me in not just all of my art forms, but has given me a certain amount of confidence even in my intercultural negotiation because you just get used to improvising all the time. The common thread is to be able to improvise in the moment and not get stuck in what it should be like, but actually be a medium for the sound and the mood and the vibe. We're, we're creating not just sound collages, but thanks to the dancers, it's got a visual collage. And that's difficult for a lot of dancers to do, yeah. to just make it up in the moment and to be connected to the music. Yeah. Like have it be inspired from what's being improvised. That's really challenging for people to like, especially to get out of your own head and just move for an hour or two (laughs) to this new entity being birthed. Um, Like I, you know, big up to all the Gunter Hampel dancers that are able to do that. And that makes it a unique show in itself. It's not like this rehearsed thing that you're trying to perhaps breathe some life into for the 25th, 100th, 200th time. 
you're really something new is being created in front of you. And guess what? Like you're part of it, your participation, your energy helps to transform it helps for it to blossom. Yeah, people forget how much power they have as an audience. Without the audience, we'd just be rehearsing, you know, (laughs) so every bit matters. They can be so encouraging to like, you know, for us to go to more uncharted territory, for us to experiment even further. I mean, there's often times when we inspire them to do it, but it's, it's just as easy for them to get us to go to a new exciting place. to Savannah and Romy for sharing their stories. The music in this episode is by Jean Lee and the Gunther Hampel Music and Dance Improvisation Company. Make sure you head to humanordinary.com for links, pics and for more info on this episode and many more. Thanks to the Human Ordinary team for their editorial advice. This episode was produced by me, Cinnamon Nippard. That was Cinnamon Nippard. There's heaps of other stuff you can hear from Cinnamon out there, and I suggest you consult your nearest Google machine if you're keen to hear more. But she'll be back with another story in eight weeks' time. Human Ordinary is produced in Melbourne and Sydney by Cinnamon Nippard, May Jasper, Mick Cavazzini, and me, Sam Lloyd. Special thanks to Claire Tonti at Planet Broadcasting and Guy Scott Wilson at Acast. Our artwork is by Fergal Quigley, and our theme music is by The Contortionist Handbook, featuring me on the bass. Score ad-free episodes and exclusive rewards by subscribing to Human Ordinary at Possible.com. For more info on the show, head to the website or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Anyway, thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.